0: Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Just want to catch you beforehand to tell you that you can follow us on ICGAW on Twitter. That's I-C-G-A-W on Twitter. And email us your questions to discuss on the pod at ICGAWpod. That's I-C-G-A-W-P-O-D at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, we'd love it if you drop us a five-star review, subscribe, and tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoy the show. All right. Let's go. Hi, hello. Welcome to a Can't Get Any Worse, America's worst podcast for America's worst hockey team. Before we begin today's show, I would actually like to apologize. As you can tell, my voice is a little different from previous renditions, and it's not actually because I'm sick. It's because I went to the Bills game on Sunday and I screamed my face off in their victory over the Titans. So I'm sorry for the lack of quality in my voice today. We're just going to have to deal with it. I did it for Buffalo, everyone. I'm very sorry. If you're new to the show, I'll tell you next that I am your host, Jay. And on today's show, we're going to be capping some major news points regarding the days before the Sabres season opener, reviewing the Sabres opening three fixtures against the Bruins, Rangers, and Golden Knights, previewing the Sabres outings against the Avalanche Coyotes and their first trip to Vegas. And we'll end today's show by talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and answering a few questions from you. On that note, if you would like to contact us with questions for the next show, you can do so by contacting us at ICGA on Twitter, as we've discussed, or ICGApod at gmail.com. Jumping into the news catch-up, it seemed like right after we posted last week's show, there was just immediately a flurry of Sabres-related news, and unfortunately, this first part is really some bad news to hear. Uh, Scott Wilson went down with an ankle injury in practice and is going to be out for a few months. There are a bunch of moves related to this um, that we're going to be talking about in a second, but this this was just unfortunate news because we've been talking about the Sabres bottom six all summer and ever since we started the show and how things were going to work out and what things were going to look like. And during all of those discussions, Scott Wilson was part of them. Um, and so for him to not immediately be a start or sorry, a part of the plans to start the season was some unfortunate news for the Sabres. Uh, Related to that bottom six, Justin Bailey and Nick Baptiste cleared waivers later that day, and they were joined by Alex Nylander, also a member of that um, talked-about group, and Brendan Gooley sent down to Rochester as well. Um, Bailey going down was kind of old news where there, he always kind of had an off shot of making the Sabres, Nick Baptiste the same. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a second, but there was a lot of debate about the nylander Ghoulie deal and whether or not sending them down was the right choice. Um, ultimately, in my opinion, I feel that sending both of them down was the right choice. Nylander still has a lot to learn, and like we talked about in uh, last week's episode, he showed some different bursts of certain offensive talent, but also showed that he's got a lot that he still needs to work on, and while they were giving him some of those opportunities, he really needs to go to a place where he can play some top six minutes, get some top six ice time, and Brendan Gooley really deserves the same, because while Nylander showed some steps forward which was quite refreshing in the career of Alex Nylander so far Brendan Gooley really didn't and he looked a little lost in a lot of those preseason games and sending him down is ultimately going to be very beneficial for him and very beneficial for this organization he has a future in this organization it's just not with the Sabres right now I would say he's gonna be like the second call up later this season when he's ready um also, later that day, Nick Baptiste was traded to Nashville for defenseman Jack Doherty. A um, little bit of info about Jack Darty. He was dan- uh, danced. He was drafted in the second round of the 2014 draft, 51st overall. And he had a pretty impressive point total in junior with the Portland Winterhawks. He had 11 goals and 41 assists there. But since then, he hasn't really made the AHL his home. He's had two goals, 11 assists, and one goal, 11 assists over the last two seasons, and he's yet to make an NHL appearance. Um, Trading Nick Baptiste is sad because we've always really liked him and his little bromance with Justin Bailey, but we sort of knew that something like this was coming. We have probably seen the ceiling of Nick Baptiste, and it's... Quite frankly, not that high. And this is a chance to try out somebody else's Nick Baptiste, albeit in the defensive form, and see if we can't get more out of them than their previous organization could. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we really knew that one of Justin or Nick was going to be moved. And Nick Baptiste, at the end of the day, probably had more value than Bailey. He's a slightly more complete player than Justin Bailey at this time. And we talked about last week or the week before about how the end of this era of prospects, while sad, is a good thing. Um, While we like both of them, the quality of the prospects in this organization are far higher than three years ago when Bailey and Baptiste were coming into the organization. And the end of this era is ultimately a good thing. Uh, Later that week, the Sabres claimed Remy Eli off of waivers from Dallas, Um, He was another 2014 round pick, uh, second round pick, rather, and he was the 40th overall. He's a solid winger with good effort on the four check, has a slight lack of skill and hands. Um, He's kind of an interesting player because he was probably projected to be higher than he is currently. He had some really solid years of scoring in the OHL before he was drafted, and it's easy to see why if you do a little digging, because here's a little fun fact. He played with Connor McDavid with the Erie Otters. And he had several seasons of point per game production, which never really translated to the NHL so far. And I mean, it's probably because he's not playing next to Connor McDavid anymore. Uh, Last season, he had six points, eight assists, and 72 NHL appearances. Ultimately, he's not coming in to put in that point-per-game status. He's more coming in to be a bottom-six winger. This is his second full season as an NHL pro, so there's still a lot of room for him to grow. Um, We're getting a hard-hitting, tough-working guy. He's not the fastest skater. He doesn't have the best hands, but he's another type of Sabatka-type, Gergensen's type, Scott Wilson-type And this was probably a result of Scott Wilson going down injured and just looking to flesh out that bottom six a little bit. Um, But Scott Wilson injury aside, if you think about it this way, Botterill flipped Nick Baptiste for a defenseman and then paid nothing to acquire a replacement for Baptiste. So while this isn't a blockbuster, it's a good little move that Botterill, he just does these things so well. And if we add up all of the little moves that he does like this, he's making those blockbuster blockbusters. But he's also pulling off these little ones really well. And so, a couple quick little flurries of news that occurred before we move into our game reviews. And the opening game is a—it's uh, not going to be the funnest one to talk about. The Bruins open up the, or sorry, the Sabers open up the season by getting blanked at home to the Bruins for nothing. And you could kind of see this coming in the result that the Bruins had the night before. They came to town after being just absolutely demolished by the Capitals 7-0 in D.C., Uh, Rask was pulled for Halak after the fifth goal that night, and so there was a little bit of a narrative about who we were going to see. The original plan was that it was going to be Halak, but both goalies played the night before. It ended up being Halak, and nothing really went well in this game. And while there might have been a bright start aside from the numbers on more of an effort standpoint— Early on, Marchand sucked the whole defense to one corner of the ice and played it across to Chara, who had just a year and a half to pick his spot on Carter Hutton. Nine minutes later, they had a little tic-tac-toe on the power play that teed up Ryan Donato for the Bruins' second. And late in the second, the Bruins added a third just way too easily. It was straight across the front of the goal to Pasternak. It was a third assist of the game from Marshawn, and I just hate that he is so good. Uh, When they were down 3-0, Phil Housley decided to shift the lines up, and he moved Middlestat in with Berglund and Ocposo. He moved Sherry up with Eichel and Skinner. There were some better numbers in terms of shot production, but it, it didn't look much better, and Bruins added the empty netter late in the game, shorthanded to add insult to injury. And Ultimately, it was just a very poor defensive performance. It was a poor offensive performance. A lot of your star guys you were really looking for to step up in a big game like this and season opener. I mean, particularly Eichel looked pretty poor, and I don't recall a moment where he was particularly noteworthy, but several attacks ended with him either skating into four defenders or passing the puck straight out of the zone, and while the product on the ice wasn't really anything remarkable. The comments afterwards did draw some news, uh, namely Eichels. He came out and said, He was asked about the fans booing. Uh, They were booed off the ice after the first and second periods. And Eichel came out saying that the fans have a short fuse with us and we have to be better for them. We haven't given them something to cheer for in several years, which kind of seemed like par for the course at this point. But Sherry came out with maybe one of the most noticeable comments saying, well, maybe we weren't ready for how hard they were going to come out in the first. But that was really what drew a lot of ire from the fans and the media was that like, look, you, you knew they got blown out 7 nothing the night before. Everyone in the world knew they were going to come out like this. You, you had one job, which was to be ready for this. Why didn't that happen? Um, Housley was really candid afterwards, saying, like, we have to go to work. We need to figure it out. And specifically saying, we are not going to do this again this season. And so, an opener to forget, which was rather unfortunate after just a, an off season of high optimism and high movement, and it didn't start off the way that I think anyone in the organization had hoped for. Thankfully, Saturday night, the Sabres welcomed the Rangers and were able to turn it around. Last week, we talked about those just the worst case scenarios for what could happen in these opening games, and Game 1 Happened. Our our worst case scenario was that they would just get blown out in their tough litmus test. Worst case scenario for game two would be that they would play a Rangers team that's in the process of entering a rebuild and find out that they aren't good enough to beat them either. And thankfully, that wasn't the case as the Sabres came out in a 3-1 win. They did shift up the lines, and Connor Sherry was moved to the top line in place of Jeff Skinner, which we'll talk about a little later at the end of our review. Uh, Girgensons was moved to the third line with Middlestat, we got a debut from Remy Ellie. And on the score sheet, Sherry's the dominant force, but Carter Hutton was just the champion of this game. He made 44 saves and was really imposing on the back end. The one goal that he did let in was a result of a scrum, and like he lost a shot from the point that got dribbled through his legs and forced home. And at one point in this game, in almost ridiculous fashion, he stopped a three on O. And there was just a horrible giveaway, and three Rangers, no defenseman, and Carter Hutton pulls off the stop. And so great to see from early on. Connor Sherry scores two power play goals. Um, one was a snipe on a two-on-one. and got set free after some great work on the neutral zone boards from Middlestat. He squares it right across from Sherry, who picks the far side of the goal for the Sabres' first goal this season. And early in the second, he scores again in the power play. little tic-tac-toe from Eichel to Reinhardt straight across the goal for Sherry to hammer home. The Rangers made it a little interesting with a late goal in the third, um, but... Very late in the third, Eichel blocks a shot, gets down the ice, and scores the empty netter with two seconds left. They had a 3-1 win. And if you were that Buffalo sports fan going into work on a Tuesday after a long weekend, I don't think there is any better way to go into work than after a sandwich Sabres-Bills-Sabres victory. And that last piece of bread with the Sabres was coming in their fixture against Vegas on Monday. And from the very beginning, the Sabres just took it to Vegas. Vegas had their opportunities, and Carter Hutton faced a lot of shots, as we'll talk about. But right from the very beginning, they jump off to an early lead lead with Jack Eichel with just a power play blast. Had a great feed from Ristolainen. Finds Eichel just hanging out in Eichel land, and he just lets it rip. They he followed it up with a three-goal second period from the Sabres. Eichel's second was just a great back-to-front play. It started with Ristolainen, who makes a great pass to Eichel. He flips it into the corner, plays off Sherry, back to Reinhardt. Back to Eichel alone, all alone in front in the slot. He sells Flurry and backhands it high above him. Um, the Vegas, did they score then? Yes, Vegas added um, or contributed one in that period. Uh, Howla got into position and let off a wrister. It took a deflection and ended up past Hutton. Um, but right after that, uh sabers had a simple wrister from scandela that maybe got tapped by berglund on the way in and they had a hammering home from Pominville off a great rodriguez feed that sends the fa- the sabers out 4 one winners uh out of the second period in the third Marcus show ended up free in the slot with nine minutes left and he beat carter hutton high on the right um and that was about it in terms of note for the rest of that game. Eichel did hunt the hat trick at the very end. He just missed the side of the neck, uh, the net. Um, it was ultimately it was just a hard-fought, well-played game from the Sabers. And the stat that everyone wanted to talk about afterwards is that the Sabers went over five hundred for the first time since 2013. And you could see it in the uh, post-game interviews what that meant to everyone. Scandella said afterwards that there's just a new air and a new culture in the room. And there's just a new attitude and energy. And he actually smiled, which the guys interviewing him called him out on. And for good reason. I remember clips from him last year where he just looked absolutely miserable. He could he, you could tell he was really excited to be coming to Buffalo and he was livid about the way that last season turned out. And talking about the Bills a second ago, Captain Jack Eichel shows up in his post-game interview in a Bills hat and it was a really interesting interview to see cuz I mean, after echoing Scandella's uh, sentiments about the culture win, uh, Jack talks about the similarities between the Bills and the Sabres getting hard-fought wins this weekend. And he was asked about comparisons to Josh Allen about being just faces of rebuild, of trying to get two organizations out of the bottom, and you you can tell that these guys have probably communicated before, because Josh Allen gave an interview in a Sabres hat last week, and at the very least, if they're not communicating, you can see a bit of mutual love and respect between the two. Over these three games, you've definitely got some players making moves up in their standings and making moves down in their standings. So a couple players who are doing really well after these first couple of games. I've got Sherry, Ristolainen, and Carter Hutton penciled down. I mean, first off, Connor Sherry's starting these three games, really two games since the Sabres were blanked, uh, with two goals and an assist, and has moved from that second line up to the top line with uh, Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt. He has looked... Really impressive and you can tell that he has way more to his game than just speed. There's an intelligence there, there's an effort there. There's an ability to be a playmaker there um, that I don't know that we necessarily thought was going to be immediately apparent. I had, I had kind of penciled Connor Sherry as just a better C.J. Smith, and he's showing that he is a far more complete player than uh, than my assessment would have would have allowed him to be. Um, other player I have penciled down here for just a really strong performance is Rasmus Ristolein, and He is laying hits. He's a part of the possession, and he's passing really, really well. He had a 90% pass completion against Vegas. Those are kind of numbers that we haven't really seen too much from him. Um, He's always been a guy who has the ice time, but he's not always put up the other numbers to warrant that ice time that's good to see in a world where we don't want to see Rasmus Dahlin just being thrown to the wolves with that kind of ice time to start off. He's been really impressive in the opening parts of this season. The other standout performer is Carter Hutton. I mean, if you leave the Boston game aside, which I think all Sabres fans want to do, he saved 43 out of 44 against the Rangers and 35 out of 37 against Vegas. He's imposing. He's strong. Um, You can tell he's communicating really well with the rest of the defense, and something that we just haven't seen out of a Sabres goalie in a while, he also gets linked up in the play very often. He's frequently trying to play the puck out of the back, keep the puck moving from the back, and avoid covering up whenever possible, and that's kind of refreshing and really neat uh, as well, just a different facet to the game for the Sabres' ability to play out of the back. Uh, I've penciled two players who are kind of struggling so far, and I don't think these will really be too much of a surprise. Um, It's not that they've played particularly poorly, it's just that we talked a lot about them in the offseason, and we haven't really had too much to talk about them so far in these games. That's Jeff Skinner and Tage Thompson, who have both found themselves falling down the lines. Um... I'll go with the slightly more critical case first in Tage Thompson. And look, I'm, I'm not condemning his Sabres career. Um, I'm just thinking that coming out of camp, if you had to consider all of our top young offensive prospects, I think Tage Thompson was right at the top over Casey Middlestadt and certainly over Alex Nylander. He had earned a, t- a second line spot on that opening night roster. Unfortunately, in these first three games, he hasn't done too much to earn it since. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with him over the next couple of weeks. If it continues, I'm certain that we're going to see him down in Rochester sooner rather than later, but maybe he grabs this third-line spot and really starts letting it rip, and we'll see what happens there. Slightly less concerning is Jeff Skinner in that he has had some flashes of some really impressive skating and some really impressive playmaking. It just hasn't fallen for him. Um, He's been in good positions. He's made the right plays. He's taken a couple good shots. They're just not going in right now, and he uh, fell down the lines a little bit, which was kind of vindicated by Connor Sherry's really impressive performances over the last two games. Um, I I don't think Jeff Skinner has been bad. The numbers just haven't been there in these first three games. Not panicking. I think we're going to see some great numbers from him this season. He's also in the past been kind of a streaky player, and maybe this is one of those off streaks. And so like we said, we're not panicking about either of these guys. I think we just, we just had some, some higher expectations going in, and um, there's definitely some room for, impro- for improvement from both of these guys. Join us in part two. We're going to be previewing the Sabres' next three fixtures against the Avalanche, Coyotes, and returning to the Vegas Golden Knights. See you in part two. Welcome to part two where we're going to be previewing the upcoming fixtures for the Buffalo Sabres and they start things off on Thursday night with the Colorado Avalanche coming to town and Colorado is coming into this season hoping to keep the momentum going. Um, a few seasons ago, they were really found around the bottom in similar positions to the Sabres, and last year, the trading of Matt Duchesne out of the locker room and the ascendancy of star players like Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ratanen really powered them to, their, to a playoff appearance where, unfortunately, it didn't go exceptionally well, um, but I don't think anyone last year pegged them as a playoff team, and so they'll be looking to keep that momentum going. They don't have a whole lot of off-season moves to talk about. Um, They started off in really strong fashion by acquiring Philip Grubauer. If you'll remember, um, the Capitals traded Grubauer and Orpik for just, I'm pretty sure, just a couple of picks. um, Really, with the idea that the Capitals were trying to shed Brooks Orpik's contract. It was kind of a weird way that it played out in that The Avalanche bought out Orpik, who then re-signed with the Capitals um, for less money than he was making with the Capitals. But collectively, he was probably making about the same between his buyout from the Avalanche and his minimized contract from the Capitals. Um, But out of that circumstance, the uh, the Sabres ended up with a pretty good goalie to uh, complement their back end They have started their season out with uh, two straight wins against the Wild and the Flyers, and they do play tonight, as of recording on Tuesday, against Columbus. And so by the time you guys listen, you'll probably know uh, what the Avalanche record will be going into this game against the Sabres um so it's it's a season of hope for the avalanche probably the best part for avalanche fans this year is the the ottawa senators who we've we've picked on a couple times in this show and i'm going to try to stay away from that in this uh this this episode but we we do need to talk about that the avs have the senator's first round pick from that duchene trade and it's not protected um, and because of this trade, I am I am sure that we will see the end of unprotected first round picks being traded. Um, when the Senators made this trade, they were really good, and so when they traded their first round pick, they were probably thinking that at the very lowest or very highest rather, this was going to be a twentieth overall pick, and. Now, now we're looking at the state of the Ottawa Senators, and, and this this is more likely to be a first overall pick than a 20th overall pick. It's going to be a lottery pick with what the the, the, uh, the Senators are projected to be. So the Avs, they, they have like two possible— every possible scenario is something they could be happy about this year. They could either be a really good team and still have a really good chance— at getting a world-class prospect like Jack Hughes next season by using that Senators pick, or they could be a really bad team, and they could have an even increased prospect of having of getting a, a look at a guy like Jack Hughes next uh, in the next draft because they'll be going at it with their own pick and the Senators pick. So it'll be an interesting season for the Avalanche. Um, I think if they were really trying to make those next significant steps forward, you would have seen them make some moves. I think they're just going to keep trying to go with their youth movement. They're early in their rebuild with a with a really young core, very similar to the Sabres. So I, I wouldn't be like, jumping, jumping out of my seat as an Avalanche fan this season, but they've, they're certainly riding the coattails of a great season from last year. After that game, that comes to the end of the Sabers' four opening home fixtures, and they will travel away to the Arizona Coyotes on Saturday, the 14th. It's a 9 p.m. fixture. Um, and the Coyotes are a team that's always seen to be a step behind the Sabres in the rebuilding process. And that's mainly because they have just been shafted in the draft lottery for several seasons. You'll remember that year that they missed out on Eichel and McDavid. I mean, we— we as Sabres fans felt that we were significant losers at the time by getting Eichel instead of McDavid. If you think about being a Coyotes fan, to fall out of both of those and not get either of those is a pretty pretty damning result. Um, and, I mean, this, this past draft lottery was no exception where they fell two places from finishing third overall to having to pick fifth overall. Um, they have opened the season by... Uh, having two straight losses against the Stars and the Ducks and they'll play the Ducks on Wednesday before playing the Sabres on Saturday. We will see in this fixture their new captain, Oliver ekman Larson, who signed a new eight-year deal rather than entering free agency in the or coming offseason. Someone we probably won't see is newly traded for Alex Galchenyuk. You'll remember he was traded one-for-one for, one for Alex Domi with the Montreal Canadiens, but he's currently out week-for-week week with a lower body injury. The last bit of our preview is rounded out with an away outing to Vegas, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, the 16th. And it's going to be a really big question mark about whether or not the Sabres can play like they did in Buffalo in Vegas. Um, I think Vegas is going to have a little bit more to their game after getting worked over by Buffalo the week before. To open the season, Vegas has beaten the Sharks and dropped one to the Flyers, beaten the wild, and then dropped one to the Sabres to open their season. Before they play Buffalo, they play the Capitals, the Penguins, and the Flyers. And then they play the Ducks shortly afterwards. So I'm looking at this Buffalo fixture thinking they're going to have played a lot of big games. And then the Sabres come to town, and it'll be really interesting to see what, what what's going through the head, heads of Vegas Golden Knights players when this game comes around. If they have come off three great victories over these big teams, could be looking at kind of a trap game for Buffalo and maybe a good time for Buffalo to come to town. If they've been getting worked over by these three teams and Buffalo comes to town, Vegas could be in prove-it mode, much like the Bruins were on the Sabres opening night. So it would be really interesting. Against the Sabres, they were really struggling to keep the puck moving offensively, and this Nate Schmidt suspension seems to be getting them a little bit worse than maybe we had expected. They really don't have that puck-moving defenseman at the back of the ice, um, and so it'll be interesting to see if the Sabres can continue to exploit that going into this game. After that fixture, the Sabres play in a little bit of a Western outing. The Sharks on Thursday, the Kings on Saturday, then the Ducks on Sunday. We're going to come at you next week with a preview of all of those games next week in that we'll be able to put out a podcast reviewing the three we've talked about and previewing those three against the Sharks, Kings, and Ducks before uh, they occur and so we'll come at you next week with a preview for that one join us in part three where we're going to talk about our down the road around town and question sections see you in a minute welcome back to part three where we're going to be talking about down the road around town and talking about a few of the questions that you guys emailed in and opening up um, opening weekend for the Amherst was not quite as much fun as opening weekend for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the Amherst dropped two straight to the Charlotte Checkers, 6-2 and 4-2 on Friday and Saturday night. And it was a rough opening night for Pagula's newly acquired stadium all around, both on the ice and off the ice. There were a lot of grumbles about Concession service, concessions logistics, seating, it just—it was very interesting to see a building and an organization that was so clearly not prepared for opening night. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it for Saturday's game, so I cannot immediately comment on my personal experience about whether or not things improved, Um, but there were a lot of grumblings with Friday night um, that will be interesting to see if things are corrected and adjusted going forward. It's tough to talk about positives from a 6-2 and 4-2 loss to open the season, but I'm going to pick out a few. Um, One that Sabres fans will want to hear is that Alex Nylander has not looked terrible. Um, He hasn't looked great, but he hasn't looked terrible. He has recorded two assists so far. Um, He's linking up offensively, and like we talked about earlier, he's getting that top six ice time, which he really needs to get to develop. Lawrence Pilot, while having a lot to learn, um, has looked steady-ish. He's been ca- has appeared very capable of great plays on both ends of the ice. He had a great tape-to-tape pass at a highlight of made the rounds on Twitter. Um, he also had a pretty good power play goal in opening night, but he's also pretty defensively suspect at times. Like he had a goal and an assist at opening night, but was also finished the night a minus one, which means he was on the ice for three goals. Um, So, the decision to send him down seems vindicated, um, but I would imagine, I would anticipate that he's your first defensive call-up for the Sabres this year. If he can get just a little steadier, I genuinely think he can contribute something for the Sabres this season. In the rough news, Brendan Gooley has really not looked that sharp. Then um, the decision to send him down seems vindicated as well. He just needs to find his feet and start building his game. He was great in spurts last year for the Rochester Americans, but he, he's not in a position to be great for the Sabers right now. And. Botryo really places a, an emphasis on using the AHL for a developmental league. We're going to see that with guys like Gooley. We're going to see that with guys like Aspend, Asplund and Pilot and Nylander. And Brendan Gooley is, is, is no different. It's been a, a rough start to him, but we'll see. He's going to be able to turn it around. He just needs that higher level of ice time, higher level of minutes, and he, he needs to be given the opportunity to be in those positions. And he will get one of those opportunities tomorrow night. The Uh, Americans host the Crunch tomorrow. Um, You will know the score of that one by the time you listen, but this is a rematch of that playoff matchup from last season where the Crunch swept the Rochester Americans, so this could be a, a heated little Wednesday night fixture and I'm excited to go check it out tomorrow. Moving on to our around town section, we're actually going to talk about two items related to the Maple Leafs to start off, and the first one actually kind of directly affects the Rochester Americans um, more more pertinently, and it's that the Leafs last week lost two goalies on waivers. They were in a weird situation where um, they had their starter and then really three backups with uh, Garrett Sparks, Calvin Pickard, and Curtis McElhinney. McElaney was the one who spent most of the season with the Leafs last season and was serviceable for them as far as I can tell. Um, And then Pickard and Sparks were two very significant standout goalies for the crunch last season. I mean, and none of those guys can clear waivers this season. And so they were in a rough position where, I mean, you can't keep four goalies. On your NHL roster and so they decided to waive Pickard and McElhaney and both of them got grabbed. Uh, Pickard by the Flyers, McElhaney by the Hurricanes and there's there's a little bit of Leafs meltdown going on over losing both of those guys. There's very realistically a chance that they're going to get both of them back if they're eventually waived. It wouldn't surprise me if we see at least one of them in the AHL reclaimed by Toronto if one of them gets waived down the road. Seems like good news um for the Americans um kind of negligible news for the Sabers but just something that was kind of interesting that both of those moves i believe happened within an hour of each other also with the Leafs uh Alex Nylander's brother we- William Nylander is still without a contract and there has been i mean it's been the story of the summer in terms of RFAs and it's continuing to be the story of the beginning of the season um Nylander is losing a lot of money by holding out, but he's also trying to argue for what he's worth. It's one of those, one of those classic positions of, of an RFA who's not arbitration eligible. There are so many moving pieces here as well, and that the Leafs signed John Tavares, um, which really notes Tavares and um, Austin Matthews as, as your two big offensive guns. Nylander has been a really impressive player but he's trying to argue for what it is rumored to be around seven maybe possibly eight and the Leafs for the sake of keeping that young core together really need him to come in at around five or six especially considering that Mitch Martyr is considered a better player um, than William Nylander and he's up with his contract next season, so they literally cannot afford to hand Nylander something along the lines of seven plus, because that that that's going to mean that they can't keep Mitch Marner next season without making several other moves. Um, it's a difficult situation. It's one of those ones where like I I don't envy that they are starting the season without one of their star players. But if if you're talking about problems to have, this this isn't the worst problem to have with their glutton of star talent. It's going to be incredibly interesting to see what they do. Um, Will they get him to come to the table for the number that they're looking for? Or will they look at their rather floundering defensive core and think that maybe it's time that we flip Nylander for something that's going to help us out on the defensive end? Um, Toronto has really struggled to keep the the puck out of the back of their net they have they uh their last two fixtures they let in what was it five against the senators and six against the um the blackhawks and so they're they're able to win well actually they didn't win one of those games they lost to the senators but they were able to win a gunfight against the blackhawks due to their offensive talent is certainly going to add to that but their defensive core is definitely suspect at the moment. And so there are a lot of questions about a team that, I mean, I think Toronto Maple Leafs fans would like to consider themselves to be Stanley Cup contenders this season. But if that defensive core doesn't um, doesn't shape up, if they don't find a way to win games ugly, I think that's going to be an interesting notion going forward. Elsewhere in the league, there's a little bit of an injury bug biting um, in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. James Van Riemsdyk, after signing his new big contract with them, is out for four to six weeks with a lower body injury. Roberto Luongo is out two to four weeks with a knee injury. Um, Joe Thornton was out as well, but he recently got some pretty good news. His knee injury um, that he's been out for is actually just some sort of infection related to the knee injury or knee surgery. Sorry, he had this season. He's had a rough couple of years with injuries. This was his second knee uh, knee surgery in two summers. Um, so he's had both knees reworked over the last two summers, and he had a lower level of input last season after missing almost half the season with that this latter knee injury. And the Sharks have been struggling without him. They're going to be really helpful to uh, to see him back on the ice. Really helpful, really hopeful to see him back on the ice. It's going to be helpful for him to be there. They haven't really been as galvanized by their acquisition of Eric Carlson this summer. And they were actually shut out very recently for nothing by the Islanders. And in goal for the Islanders at the time, our old pal Robin Lehner. Um, The Sharks are going to want Thornton back as soon as possible. And while they were stoked to have landed uh, Eric Carlson this summer got to remember that they were in the Tavares hunt until very late this summer and bringing Thornton back on that one year deal was sort of a plan B and it's I think they'd still rather have that plan B than no plan on the ice so they're going to get that plan B back soon but I think I mean, they're they they've they're missing a top-line center right now, which is definitely halting a team that I think, I, I think a lot of us thought were going to be very clear Stanley Cup contenders this season off to a little bit of a rough start. Elsewhere in Columbus, Brandon Dubinsky's out four to six weeks, and this is on top of that news that Seth Jones is week-to-week with a lower body injury. If you'll remember, he went down in that Kraft Hockeyville game against the Sabres. So a little bit of an injury bug going around the league. Um I don't think it's anything that's going to completely ruin anyone's season, um, but definitely affecting the opening weeks of the NHL season as we move forward. To end the show today, we're going to talk about two questions that were emailed in. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at ICGA or email us at icgapod at gmail.com. And Thomas emailed us to ask what I thought of the Tom Wilson suspension, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because if, if you're listening to this show, this happened right after um, last week's show, and it, it, it's old news at this point, so I, I don't want to keep um, beating this horse, but very quickly, Tom Wilson was suspended 20 games for his hit on Oscar Sunquist in a preseason game, and again, it's old news by this point, but he was fined $1.2 million as a part of this suspension. That's actually more than the salary he's going to make this season. Um, if you're up to speed, you will know he did sign a contract where he received a $5 million bonus this season, but his salary is actually under that $1.2 million. So while he got $5 million this summer, he won't see a paycheck this season. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, just quick quick points. Um this is not the worst hit that Tom Wilson has had, but it is his fourth suspension in 105 games, and this was the one where the NHL finally decided, this is it, this is enough, you're done. I think the hit on Zach Aston Reese in the playoffs was much worse than this one, um, and a lot of people were saying, well, like, oh, well, it's Sundquist's Sunquist, fault, he shouldn't have been going into that zone of the ice with his head down, and I... I I I kind of agree with them, Um, but at the same time, Tom Wilson has been a dangerous, possibly even predatory player, and this is something that the NHL is trying to stop, and previous one-game, three-game suspensions haven't stopped him. And here he was in a preseason game, doing it again, and they threw the book at him. Fourth suspension in 105 games, I think says all you need to know about the situation. Um, I don't like their inconsistency with it, but I think this is this is their they're finally putting their foot down on this situation. and I, I think it's the right move. Um, I like Tom Wilson as a player. I like Tom Wilson as the competitor. He's got to knock this off. Um, the, the the game is moving past this and the, for the sake of literally for the sake of players' lives, this part of the game needs to go and he needs to learn to let it go. Um, next question comes in from Andrew also emailed in and he sent in a neat little video um, by TSN where they um, were talking about most points by a rookie defenseman in their draft. Year And the reason this is cool for Sabres fans is for two points. Um, Number one, we're obviously talking about Rasmus Dahlin. And number two, second on this list from the 82-83 season with 66 points, is Phil Housley. Um, Now the top of the list is Larry Murphy um, in 80-81. He had 76 points. There are two Calder winners. Um... In Ray Bork and Dennis Potvin in 79 and 73, out of order there. I'm sorry, respectively. And uh, two questions he had for me that they actually talk about in this video are, uh, can Darlene crack this list? And can Darlene beat Housley on that list? Remember, Housley had 66 points. Um, And I I hate to be a a Debbie down here, but no, I don't think so. Um, It's too much. I think 40 points is a great season from Dahlin, and 30 points is good. And right now, just frankly, logistically, realistically, I don't think he's getting enough ice time to get those sorts of points. Ristolainen is eating minutes right now, and he has earned those minutes. Um, He's had excellent performances in two of the last three games. And so the way he's eating minutes, he's averaging around 25 and I I think he's going to continue to get that. Darlene's averaging well under 20, and talking about just point accumulation, Risto's eating up minutes on that top power play line, and Darlene occasionally gets out on that second power play line. So I think just from a matter of typical expectations, um, typical way that the league functions now, and just the fact that Logistically, Darlene's not going to have the opportunity to get up to around 66 points. And again, 40 points would be an outstanding year from a rookie defenseman. And I, I think if if Darlene cracks 40 points, maybe into the high 40s, he's still got to be in that conversation for the Calder. Um, regardless, I, I think 66 is way too high to be thinking about. Um, from this point. Here's another way to think about it. Jack Eichel hasn't even had a 66-point season yet. His best was last season with 64. Now, of course, he hasn't really completed a full season since his first year, um, but something to think about in terms of expectations for Darlene from the back end. He's looked good in the first couple of games. He's had some really great flashes. He's had some defensive moves um, that he I think he would want back, and all of that is expected. And I think it's been par for the expectations for Dalene up to this point. Obviously looking forward to the rest of this season with him. No, I don't think we're going to be talking about a 66-point season or even cracking this list with 54 points at the bottom of it for him this season. So Andrew and Thomas, thank you so much for your questions. Uh, the rest of you folks out there, what do you think? What do you think of Tom Wilson's suspension? What do you think about our expectations for Darlene this season? Um, do you think he can crack that list? Do you think my expectation of a great season at 40 points is legitimate? Tweet us in or shoot us an email. What do you think? And we'd love to love to have a conversation with you. That's going to be it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find us and join the conversation on Twitter at ICGAW, that's I-C-G-A-W, and we'll see you next week as we're going to talk about our next three games against the Avalanche Coyotes and Vegas Golden Knights. Thanks so much for listening. Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, just like my voice, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Check in to Oposo. Aposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the lane score!